Kwaba. Welcome back to the Team Ghana U podcast. By sites where you receive news, updates, discussion, and everything significant football and Ghana related. As always, I want you, the listeners, to be actively involved by tweeting or emailing us for discussion or wanting more information. Hello and good morning, afternoon, or evening all. Um, before we begin this podcast today, I'd like to send my thoughts and condolences out to the family of Christian Atsu, who unfortunately lost his life in the Turkey earthquake. And receiving this news today, which is Saturday the 18th of February. Very, very, very sad news. And yeah, it's very, very sad news for, for Ghanaian football today. Um, it's the news I think we're all hoping that didn't filter through. But I think as time went on, um, yeah, as time went on, it, just didn't, it, didn't, it didn't feel right. I mean, it's unfortunate this news has filtered through. Um, but today, what i like to do, i like to... In fact, no. Today, i like to like to dedicate this episode, actually, to Christian Atsu. I think all subjects in which I touch upon on this podcast relate to every single professional footballer who has actually played, or played at any level, if I'm honest, because I think I do this for um, for them, but at the same time, I do it so everyone else actually has the information, if, if that makes any sense. I like to break things down in bite-sized formats, so we all remained informed in some way, shape, or form, whether that's in Ghana or whether that's the diaspora. Um, but today's episode, I like to be um, the part two of episode one, which was last week, which was understanding the valuation of Ghanaian football clubs. Um, after listening to the podcast, I wanted to know a little more, and you may have questions. And if you do, please forward them on. But my questions are, so question one, what is a football club's biggest asset? And I'm just going to go to my notes for this. Okay, so just give me a minute. So today I'm actually not doing a scripted podcast. I've actually got a load of notes and I want to run through them. So what is a football club's biggest asset? So a football club's biggest assets can vary depending on the club circumstances, but generally the fo- the following sorry can be considered some of the most important. So players, the players are the most visible and important assets of a football club. A team with talented and skilled players can perform better and achieve more for the football club. The fan base, a loyal fan base is crucial to a football club's success. Fans provide revenue through ticket sales, merchandise, and sponsorship deals, and can create supportive and energized atmosphere during matches. Brand value, and this is something which I spoke on on previous episodes. I think branding is really, really important. But as to the point, brand value. A football club's brand value is the intangible value of the club's name, logo, and reputation. A strong brand can attract sponsorship, fans, and top talent. Um, a good example, and I'll mention them later on in the podcast as well, will be someone like Manchester United, who are currently up for sale and have received a number of offers to what we understand for the club. Um, Real Madrid will be another big club. To be fair, there's there's several big clubs. There's Barcelona, Arsenal, etc., etc. Um, but on to other points. Um, stadium and training facilities. A state-of-the-art stadium and training facilities can help football clubs attract and retain top players, as well as provide enjoyable experiences for fans. As we know, so the Emirates. I'm an Arsenal fan. Going to the Emirates is a very pleasurable experience. I love going there. The Youth Academy. And... After I read this, I'll touch upon some of those bits and pieces. So a successful youth academy can provide a steady stream of talented young players to the first team, which can save the club money in transfer in the transfer market, sorry, and build a strong team culture. Away from those things, as we know, whether in Ghana or anywhere to be fair, it doesn't have to be Ghana, if you have top talent, they can be sold. So Benfica, FC Porto, Chelsea are becoming a club who are selling players, a lot of their young players, so they're developing a lot of players in recent years and they're beginning to sell them. Obviously, not everybody can play for the first team. 
qualities, you have a bit of a cold. Financial stability. A financial stable club can invest in new players, facilities and marketing, which can then help the club's success over the long term. Ultimately, a combination of these assets, along with effective management and leadership, can help a football club achieve their success on and off the field. Question 2. What traditionally are Ghanaian clubs' biggest assets and form of revenue? Because they'll be different to European clubs and other markets. Now, I say other markets because, again, in a previous episode, I spoke of... I spoke of different markets, and I say different markets because I want to use the Premier League. Yeah, Premier League and Spanish League. I will say they're probably in the top market, all right? Well, the Premier League, primarily, is probably the biggest league in the world. And I'd say something like the Portuguese League will be a completely different market, and that you're going to find a lot of talented players there, but you're not going to find your... Let me think of a player. Ah, Enzo Fernandes has recently moved from Benfica to Chelsea. So Enzo Fernandez, I think, came from River Plate, I believe, and it moved to a different market. Of course, yes, it's a different country. But the Portuguese league is generally, I think it's a very competitive league, but generally you're going to find a lot of scouts and people in talent identification are going to be looking for players in those type of leagues in order to bring them to bigger leagues for them to be more successful and more profitable. I think you're more likely to find a good deal in a league like the Portuguese um the Italian league in some respect, and there's other leagues around the world. Um, I've actually lost myself for a moment, so I want to very quickly um, touch on that. I'll say what traditionally... Okay, cool. Probably very similar to um, the things I mentioned. Um, so I'll read, I'll read, obviously, some of the notes I have anyway. So in Ghana, a football club's biggest assets are somewhat similar of those to other football clubs around the world, but there are some unique factors that can have a significant impact on a club's success in Ghana. Here are some of the most important assets for a football club in Ghana. Players, as I mentioned before. So I mentioned that, so I'm not going to read over that again. Fan base. I mentioned that before, won't read it again. Sponsorship deals. In Ghana, many football clubs rely heavily on sponsorship deals to fund their operations. Sponsorship can provide critical funding for player salaries, training facilities, travel expenses, and other costs associated with running the football club. Youth development. Youth development is becoming increasingly important for football clubs in Ghana. Developing young talent through strong youth programs and academies can help build strong foundations for the club's future. Sorry. Developing young talent through strong youth programs and academies can help build a strong foundation for the future success of the club. Facilities. I touched on this, but this is slightly different. While facilities such as stadiums and training grounds may not be as modern or state-of-the-art as in other countries, like I mentioned, in England, the Emirates, Old Trafford, obviously, that needs a bit of work, but you know what I'm talking about. There are still important assets for football clubs in Ghana. Having a well-maintained stadium and training facilities can help attract players, fans, and sponsorship. Now, this is probably a big one, all right, and it's management. And the reason why I say this is, well, yeah, I'll say this first. I've not actually watched the FIFA documentary, all right, but as we know, um, that documentary is led on a lot of corruption and a lot of maladministration. Such information and stuff was actually in the article which I read last week, um, to which you obviously can take a read of that. Or have a listen to the previous podcast. Effective management and leadership are critical to the success of football clubs in Ghana. Clubs with well-organised management structures and strong leadership are more likely to be successful on and off the field. Question three. Which club has the largest assets and has had the biggest transfer deal in one go? Now, I struggled to find um, information for all of this. Well, not that I struggled to find information, but 
let me read the first part or find what I've, anyway so I found information on what was the biggest transfer um, I lost some of the information but let me read what I actually have so I think the biggest transfer fee that went to a club in Ghana from what I understand was for Richard Yeardham um, and he was at Beecham United in Ghana and then from there, I think he went to DC United, and then I think he went to Genoa. So I think there must have been a sell-on clause um, from when he went to when he went from I think it was Genoa to maybe Juventus. And from what I understand, Juventus and Genoa might have had a fifty-fifty, uh, sorry, fifty-fifty, um, sorry, a fifty-fifty partnership on Yeardon for any future sell-on. To which I believe Beecham United would have received some form of a fee after he was sold. So after Juventus, he went to Atalanta. Oh, and I don't want to forget, there was something else I wanted to touch on as well. I said, oh, which clubs has the biggest assets? Okay, cool. So I touched on this in the, in the, apologies, in the, it's going to come to me, in the article, um, in the article. So I'm just going to go over the information again. So I think with transfermarket.com, um, have come up with Asante Cotico on top with a valuation of 2.53 million which was followed by the Hearts of Oak, who had a valuation of 2.4 million. Question four. What are the aims of clubs in Ghana? Now, I'm kind of speaking to myself, but I'm also speaking to you. Are they heritage clubs to be successful and win titles? Or are they like most clubs in Europe? They have a sporting arm, but they also have a business arm. Nowadays, some or a lot of clubs are leveraging or hemorrhaging debt. Manchester United's ownership under their glazes is a good example of that. I'm sure there's a variation. Which leads me on to question five. What is the right to dream model? Because to my knowledge, although they're not a football club, I think they've been the most successful organisation in recent time in Africa. And on the surface, they seem economically viable. Now, I'm reading this from Forbes. According to Right to Dream's most recently filed accounts, the business made a pre-tax profit of £3.19 million. That's $4.4 million. On the revenue of £22 million. That's 30... Sorry, apologies. That's $30.4 million to the year end of December 2019. Ah, but to their model. Now, we all know Vernon, but again, this is from the Forbes article, so I want to read parts of it. Yeah, I want to read parts of it. Vernon was 19 when he moved from the UK to Ghana to coach young players. Everywhere he looked, from kickabouts on dusty pitches, to performers juggling the ball at traffic lights, he saw natural talent. But to the right to dream model. Now, continuing on the Forbes article, it says, can a purpose-driven approach be financially stable? Now, I haven't actually touched on their model model, but as we know, so no, forget as we know, as it says in the article, their model is, is solely to, well, not solely, but their model is to develop professional footballers. There are a number of things they do along the way in, in regards to educating players and all that type of stuff, but I guess one of their main objectives is to develop professional footballers. There are a number of key indicators I'm sure they hit on the way. But let me read part of the article anyway. Can a purpose-driven approach be financially stable? Now, if you don't know, um, the Right to Dream Academy, I think, are in partnership or own um, FC Norgelin. Or there is some form of um, partnership between the two. Anyway, an important part of FCN's strategy has been income from the transfer market. Though there is a plan to reduce the reliance on this by boosting revenues from commercial partners. One of the latest places we saw was Mohamed Kudus. The 20-year-old joined the Right to Dream Academy at age 12 and then went on to play for Norgelin. And last year, or not last year, sorry, but according to the article, last year joined Dutch giants Ajax for a reported fee of 9 million euros. In total, Norgelin have generated transfer fees in excess of 65 million pounds, sorry, euros, since the takeover, the majority from the academy graduates. Wow. It goes on to talk about um, 
the money the Writer's Room Academy has, has, has filed. I'll read it again anyway. According to Writer's Room's most recently filed accounts, the business made a pre-tax profit of £3.19 million on the revenue of £22 million to the year end, December 2019. Ending, the ability to combine a purpose-driven approach with financial sustainability in soccer has not gone unnoticed. Now, I want to bring the, the podcast kind of to a close because what I wanted to do, I wanted to kind of like create a broader approach or ideas and models what are currently out there. Because I, I, to be fair, I've given, a, I've given a bit of information today, but there's still a lot of information that I still want to know. I want to know specifically what are football clubs actually doing? Because the most successful model I have seen so far is the Right to Dream Academy model. And thus, from what I understand, not from what I understand, because I did an article on this as well, was, let me find it here, um, part of the article. Here we are. So, in January, um, to when obviously this article was written, Man Capital, the UK-based investment arm of the Egyptian Mansour Group, announced a €100 million Euros partnership with the Right to Dream Academy. The newly established Man Sports now has a majority control of the organisation, with Vernon remaining the other significant shareholder. Mr. Mohamed Mansour, the founder and chairman of Man Capital, became the chairman of the board of Right to Dream, while his son, Lufti Mansour, also joined the board. Wow. Just wow. And, again, obviously, we had an article on this previously, and I definitely want to look back at that article myself. But, actually, let me finish some of this article. The partnership's first major project is to build the Right to Dream Academy for boys and girls in Egypt to be located in West Cairo. It's expected to welcome the first group of student athletes in 2022, which will be last year. So I'll check up on that. And also, a professional women's team will be launched in Egypt. Wow, just wow. Um, I don't even know if we, I want to do a part three. I think there's a lot of information I've gone over today, but I'm going to have a good listen over to what we've done today. And hopefully you have some questions and queries and all that type of stuff. And then we may do a part three. But I think what I would love to do is I would love to maybe have a conversation with someone. But if I'm being very honest with myself, there's still a lot of information that I'd like to gather um, with respect to actual specific clubs in Ghana. I want to nail down some of these models. I want to know what a lot of these clubs are doing. Um, actually, more from a from a selfish no no not from a selfish standpoint from a point of yeah I want to know I think I'm just I'm one of those individuals who wants to um, take as much information on board as possible um, so I think it's very clear and out of the open as to what the Right to Dream Academy are doing and I'd love to know what other clubs are doing as well I think some of the business models in general in regards to football are quite I don't want to say obvious but they're quite well known as to um, you know they're, they're businesses aren't they they uh, they go they win titles and they receive sponsorship. Um, they have they might have a model of developing players and selling them, but some of their models in general are quite are quite well known. Anyway, for me this has been quite fascinating. I can't wait to listen back to it. Um, again, obviously share your thoughts, your feelings, and if you've got any questions or queries, please let me know. That's it for this week's episode. We'll be posting as usual via social media, keeping up with the stories that unfold in the coming weeks. As always, if you've got any questions or queries, email us at teamgarnerU at gmail.com or tweet or DM us at teamgarnerU on IG or Twitter. Thank you. Take care. We'll see you in a couple of weeks.